Hello. In this week's episode of the Penny Lane Podcast, we interview singles and doubles and talk about bag holding and following furu plays. It's an intense topic, and I'm so glad that singles and doubles here was here to discuss it with us because there's no one I'd rather talk about that with. I think it's a very important episode for you guys to listen to, and I hope you enjoy it and and truly do think about the bag holding aspect. It's important, guys. This episode is brought to you by Pennies Going in Raw and Last Bottle Wines. The stock market is hotter than ever right now, and traders are taking advantage. But what does that mean for the people who still haven't started trading? The market can be a little intimidating at first, but you don't have to be alone in the learning experience. We at the Pennies Going in Raw podcast are here to help you. I'm Dan, and with my co-host, Hugh Henney, we make the stock market a fun but informative experience for our listeners. We offer knowledge for all levels of traders, from beginners to those who do it full-time. On PGIR, we discuss up-to-date news about the stock market and interview other traders who all started out just like us and made it big. You'll hear from Hugh and other multi-millionaire traders, founders and CEOs of companies, Fintwit superstars, and even professional athletes. Have you ever thought about investing your hard-earned cash but don't know where to start? Do you have money just sitting in your savings account collecting dust? We were all there once, too. Listen to Pennies Going In Raw on the iHeartRadio app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Singles and doubles, hi. Welcome back for the third time to the Penny Lane Podcast. Probably our favorite guest ever. Wow. Thank you. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Justin? That's quite a statement. I mean, favorite, probably our favorite guest. It's, you know, maybe true, probably true, but you've... We really isolate a lot of people we've had on the podcast there. Yeah, so. but I, I'm okay with that. I mean, it feels like talking. It has like an audience with like, I don't know, like a shaman or something. The Pope. Like, the, uh, yeah, the Pope. yeah. It feels like sacred time. Um, and I, think, yeah, yeah. I think anyone who listens to the podcast, who's been on the podcast, who hears me say that, will be like, yeah, I get that. So <laughs> very revered, lots of reverence out there. For I sure. think that might be the right term. For sure. Also, um, I don't think I've publicly said it, but your two episodes are the two most listened to episodes of all time of the podcast. Wow. So okay, no really, pressure. Thank you so much. Yeah. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. Thank you. I think you've helped a lot of people and uh, we've been lucky to be the vehicle of that. Very lucky. So you sent a tweet out recently that really struck a nerve with me. I've, I've been super public with how much I've been struggling and I've seen my friends who I've traded with for a while. I see people just dropping like flies. Um, I see people doubling down, tripling down, blowing up their accounts. Um, people sticking really hard to trading methods that were working in 2020 and sort of petered off in 2021. And um, there's a mixture of hope and stubbornness and I think inability to admit failure that 
and I'm sure there's other things, did I say pride? Like other things that go into it that just make it, it's hard for me to experience. I've certainly, those are all things that I've experienced, but watching my friends who, especially during COVID, my trading friends are like my people. Um, I mean, I care about them and we spend all day together and watching people go through this is heartbreaking on so many levels. And the tweet you sent just really spoke to me in that way. And I also think that you're our most qualified guest to, to just sort of work through some of those feelings with. Okay. Well, you're not alone. I, and, and I appreciate the ability to come on uh, today and, and talk about a lot of this and, and my feelings about a lot of this. Um, I guess I'll start by just, just saying that today is January 31st. So it's the last day of uh, the first month of, of 2022. And today was a, a very good day in the market um, for most stocks and most areas of the market. But um, the previous two months, December and, and, and the remainder of, of January were not good. There was a lot of red every single day. Um, and if you were on the long side rather than the short side, uh, it was it was painful for many people. And it was something that many people have not experienced before. Uh, a year ago, um, the, the market was doing well. Uh, January was a, a good month. Um, some Januaries in the past have, have been down, some have been up, but last January was good. And this January has been one of the worst in, in quite a while when you look at the indexes. And so what I have noticed during this time, uh, these past couple months, and, and, and let me just say, we don't know, you know, was today the beginning of a rally back or are we going to sell off again? Who knows? Yeah. No one knows. Right. But what we do know is looking back eight or nine weeks, uh, it's been it's been rough and the indexes have sold off and there's a correction that has begun and is in place. And what we don't know is how long that will last for. So what what it does, I think, is causes a lot of emotion with a lot of people. And you mentioned that earlier. Um, and for me, I have become very vocal on Twitter uh, the past several weeks, um, much more than in the past when things were better in the market. I've become much more aggressive and assertive in talking to people about defense, talking to people about uh, stop losses, talking to people about capital preservation and risk management, because if you don't have those things in a market that's going south, you're bleeding. And if you don't do something about it, you're bleeding badly. And so every rule that I have has come into play uh, right in front of me the past couple months. And what I have noticed is that there is a separation between some traders who will stand by their rules, stand by their strategy, and others who are basically not doing anything to acknowledge what is right in front of them 
um, and what they see. In other words, the latter group is comprised of people who are not changing um, their thought process about how they respect risk. And that's not going to end well for many people. Specifically, diving in further, I guess what it comes down to, guys, is what we talked about. One of the things that we talked about in the fall last year when you had me on and I said, there's one universal concept that binds every trader together, regardless of who you are, how long you've been trading, what you trade. Uh, and that is that if you don't protect the downside, you will never make money consistently, never. And what I have noticed on Twitter, and, and I've been outspoken about this, and some people I think respect what I have said, and others have a problem with what I've said. Um, and that's fine. But what I have said is just that, that if you don't respect the downside, you're asking for trouble. And many people are not respecting the downside. You mentioned earlier, Blaine, that uh, you know people are buying more and they're doubling and they're tripling and they're averaging down and just no regard whatsoever to risk. And what I have found in my career when stocks are down significantly is that in time, some of those stocks will pop back and they will recover. They might recover some of their losses. They might recover all of their losses. But if a trader has a strategy where they are oblivious to that and they're just holding these things into the ground with no respect uh, for a stop, for an exit point, they're in trouble. It's not going to end well because many of these stocks will not come back anytime soon. Many of these stocks might even go lower. And so I, I see a lot of people posting um, about stocks almost taking a, 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 having a blind eye to it. And I think it's wrong. I think it's wrong. I don't think that it helps people to see that. And so I have spoken out. Um, and, and I'm not saying that everyone does that because there's many that don't. Like I said earlier, there's two groups. There's the group that respects risk and there's the group that doesn't. And so, hey, listen, we've all, uh, you know, had many red days in the last couple of months. But there's a difference between being small red and being big red. And big red uh, can cost you many weeks, many months, even a year or two of your trading career if you just hold these things into the ground. I, I think that's so true. And there's no way to know how inflated the market has been either, like just reiterating what you're saying, that they can go lower. And then there's certain stocks, certain low float stocks that are not only tied to the market and the specific company, but also Bitcoin. And I, I know Justin feels strongly about this, but Justin told me there's no real reason for Bitcoin to be necessarily tied to the market. So the fact that like Bitcoin's down as well as the market and some of these like mining stocks and things... <sighs> 
we don't know. We don't know where the bottom of the market is or the bottom of Bitcoin. And it's just, I'm terrified of losing money and I'm sort of more terrified of other people losing money. It's the, it's the dark side of trading that I don't really like talking about, but I think we're there. Well, I think that what I am always leery of, and I see a lot of tweets on Twitter talking about things like um, people having conviction in a stock, people talking about knowing what you own, people talking about catalysts that are upcoming in you know, third and fourth quarter of, of this year, people talking about the February effect which is funny because that was supposed to be the January effect, which was supposed to be the December effect. Maybe there will be a February effect, but people are using words and phrases that are misleading and based on hope and not based on facts. And what I say is those are people who I believe will hold stocks as long as they have to. They basically have said, I bought it significantly higher, 40, 50, 60, 80% higher, and I'm getting killed on this stock, but I'm not going to sell. I'm going to hold it because I don't have a stop. If I had one before, I certainly didn't respect it, and I just don't care. And my experience has been that those types of traders never will make consistent money in the stock market. And so, What I try to do is educate people and say, look, I don't know which stocks are going to come back and which stocks aren't. I think the market will eventually rally again and small caps or whatever will will come back and move higher. But rather than try to act like I have all the answers as a trader, I'm just going to sell anything that hits a certain percentage down and move on, period. I'm not going to question it. If it's 10% down for me, I'm gone. And so when I see people who are holding stocks that are down 30 to 80%, I, I, I cannot relate. And people say, well, you're being hypocritical. You know, you, you used to be that person. And I say, yeah, you're right. I used to be that person. I was that guy for seven and a half years that would be holding stocks like Wish, you know, from nine down to, 285. I'd love to talk um, about Wish, actually. Okay. Um, Here's my thoughts on Wish. Please. A year ago today, Wish was a $32 stock. The low is $2.10. Okay. Today, Wish had a very good day, actually. It went from 231 to uh, uh, after hours 285, and it was almost at $3. But my thing with all of these wish holders is most of these people were in between nine, 10, $11 a share. I was in at right? 12 for a little while. Okay. Yeah. Well, the key part there is you, you said a little while, <laughs> yeah, which like a day. You, sold, you, you got out, <laughs> yeah. you know, you know, and as a trading vehicle, uh, that's fine. If people are going to trade the stock, I traded wish today myself, but as a, as a buy and hold, I, I fail to understand why someone, let's just say they're in at nine, how you're going to hold it down to eight, down to seven, six, five, four, three, and under three, 
What is the thought process there? At what point does someone say, you know what, I'm down, If let's say it's at $3 and you bought at nine, I'm down two thirds on this position. I'm down 67% on this position. And even if it doubles, I'm still at six and down a third on my position. That makes no sense to me whatsoever, none. And I see people doing it over and over, not just with Wish, there are many stocks like that. That is not successful trading. That is where someone has to look in the mirror and dig deep and ask themselves, why am I holding a stock like this? And the answer is, hey, look, if you got it wrong, you got it wrong, but you got to get out. You got to get out soon, quickly, you know, from your entry point, because these stocks over time will ruin all gains that you have with other stocks. And when that takes place, you can never get profitable. So I don't understand it, um, but I used to do it. So I understand the effects of it, but I do not understand it from the standpoint of continuing to make that mistake over and over, expecting a different result. You have to, you gotta, you gotta get away from that as a trader uh, or you cannot win. I mean, I, I used to hold stocks like that and what I found was that there sometimes they'd come back, but most of the time they would not come back. And I look back at trades from 2014, 2016, 2012, they have not come back. And so what's that time value of money worth to put it somewhere else when it's seven and nine years? I, I think it's just a huge mistake that people make. And I think that the conviction that people supposedly have for stocks like Wish and other stocks that are way down in the barrel is misguided. And I think there's a different agenda when these stocks are being tweeted out like they are. I'm not saying that a stock like Wish or others can't pop, but really, you know, what are you hoping for? Deep down, what are you hoping for? And I'm convinced that many people have no idea what they're hoping for because they didn't have a plan going in. I'm ready to hop in the mix, Blaine. Yeah, this is it's got your name all over it. <laughs> well, no, 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 no. It's it's uh, it's a good time for a set break because I think what you guys have discussed over the last 15 minutes is really interesting because you've got Blaine as you started. I feel like you came from a place of empathy, and I don't know if that was because you know you're having uh, some down days in the market or not, or you're just witness to a lot of people who are and are kind of coming at it from a place of, I understand, and it's very, very tough. Um, and then you've got the other side of this, which is singles and doubles, who is preaching like tough love. Like some people need a pat on the butt and some people need a kick in the pants. And I think we've got like two sides of the coin there and it's really interesting. And I almost wonder if Blaine, you knew that was gonna happen. <laughs> and you're doing this because you feel like you needed to hear that from singles and doubles, or well, is that not true? <laughs> I don't bag hold. Like, fair. I don't do that. Did um, you do that because you think I needed to hear that from singles and doubles? <laughs> it actually, the irony was unfolding as the episode was yeah. going on. And I was yeah. like, I hope your, I hope your ears are open, Justin. They are. And I think it is a really good conversation that I'm, you know, the back and forth between, you know, the, the, the one side, which is, man, it sucks and it happens. And, and I understand, and you got to make a decision at some point. And then the other side is, 
I don't know why, I don't even know why you're doing it to, to begin with, right? It's never worked in the past. It's not going to work in the future. I mean, like you talked about, if it's been down for years, right? I mean, if it has never come back, your time value of money is negative. That's just how that calculation works. And so you can't dispute that, right? I mean, I guess there's ways to overcome that if you think you can average down and that works, but I mean, that's not, it, it, it's not advisable, right? Especially if you're talking about having to hold this stuff for quarter over quarter, month over month, year over year, whatever it may be, which which I know I certainly have. So are you, Blaine, are you seeing that a lot of people that you trade with, that's kind of where they are right now is that since stuff had dropped so much and they're usually either day traders or swing traders that now they have a tough decision to make or is it... Is it different and it's just losses that continue to compound day after day? I think the fact that I have been so honest about what I have gone through, plus the fact that I'm a woman, I think, I mean, I don't know if that's true, but I do feel like the fact that I'm a woman, people feel comfortable sharing a lot of what's going on with them and being really honest. and. So I think, and that I'm like somewhat kind of a public figure, I guess, with the podcast, people feel like they know me. So I just, I get a lot of, I get a lot of stories and, you know, I'm not a tough love person and I don't feel like I can come at it with, with much advice other than like, as our friend Hugh says, the backside of the trade comes 10 times faster. Like I, that is true. Mm-hmm. It is true. Um, and people who are holding some of these stocks that are being pumped or, or bought the top, which God knows I bought the top. I did it today on spy. Like I, like I, I know the temptation of buying the top and being like, I'm going to hold it for a 5% pop or whatever. I freaking know that. Um, People who buy the top and hold all the way down in it, the the hopium term, and it's money they can't afford to lose. It's just like, I'm, I feel the burden of that. But like I said, I don't back hold. I'll take big losses during the day, but, you know, I close out all my positions at the end of the day. So if I took a loss, got to just take it on the chin. I think that people have everyone will miss trades every day, right? We're never going to be perfect. It's it's almost impossible to have the perfect entry, the perfect exit, you know. So knowing that, I believe that it's the it's the exit point on a trade that will determine your long-term fate. In the short term, on the trade, you're going to lose money. Uh, all of us will lose money every time we get stopped out of a position. But it's it's not respecting that that can lead to trouble, including averaging down when the market is poor. You know, today was a good day in the market, but anybody averaging down over the last several weeks, it it, it just accelerated the losses, and I know personally. People have said, you know, what's one area that you still struggle with? And it's the decision on whether to average down. Um, During the last two months, 
I did it a little bit, but not as much as I used to because I, I just simply could not do it in, in a market like that where it was just red after red after red dropping and some of these stocks to levels that you just can't believe they're at, but you know that they still could potentially go down further. And so at the end of the day, when you step back from it, at least for me, it's as simple it's simplifying the process to where I'm buying it here, my stop is here, and my target range is here. That's it. That's all that matters, where I'm buying it, where my stop is, and then if I start to get some upward movement, where I'm looking to exit. And, and for those that respect that, the pain is a lot less or has been less than for those that don't. And you know what? It's not just that type of a strategy in markets like we've seen for the last two months. It's always that way. I was saying the same thing in September and back last May. It's always that. And so that habit is one that will benefit people in good markets and bad if they'll just follow it, if they will just not get killed on any one position that's in their control. That's it. I had a one-on-one with Shark, who's my like main mentor, and he was helping me set up some stuff in Thinkorswim, and we were looking at Spy, and he just started laughing and was like, I spent Sunday night drawing out all the levels that I would need this week, and we're so far below them that like <laughs> it's like a massive gap. He's like, I got to go back and redraw all my levels. I had no idea it would get this low. And he's a good trader. He's been trading a very long, long time. And yeah, he's, he was like, good. yeah, I had no idea it would go this slow. People, people don't know. He's also a very disciplined trader. So disciplined. Oh, my God. Listening to him on voice, which I do throughout the day, has really saved my trading career because he'll sit sits there all day on voice. He's by himself. He walks through the plays. He'll take two trades. Yeah. I mean, he's never jumping into something willy nilly. And then he won't take a trade if it doesn't pull back to his. I mean, he it's. It's impressive, like very and impressive. And that's why he, that's why he uh, prospers through all market conditions because he has that kind of discipline to ride through it. He knows what it, it, he knows what it looks like. He knows that when it's going south, it can go further south. And he adjusts. And like you said, taking a couple trades only, you know what? If it's not there, it's not there. Yeah. And he has no... He has no He's got a room full of people sitting there waiting for him to trade, and he has no like pressure to force anything. Yeah. It's awesome. Irrational exuberance. When it comes to killer wine at drastically low prices, 30 to 70% off retail and free shipping. We live for that here at Last Bottle Wines. Whether you went long or short on GameStop, you'll need a glass of something terrifically tasty. And we've got the goods. Last Bottle is a daily wine site based in Napa, California. One wine every day at Black Swan event prices, usually 30 to 70% off. Until poof, it's gone. Whether you're a pound-the-table type, think ultra-crisp, quaffable Sauvignon Blanc, or a dividend aristocrat, Burgundy, or Napa Cab, there simply is no better place to buy wine on the web. And they always have free shipping. 
Last Bottle has a deal just for Penny Lane listeners. Use promo code PENNY, that's P-E-N-N-Y, to save 10% off your next order with Last Bottle. The code is good for one order and one order only, and it expires March 11, 2022. So head over to lastbottlewines.com today. That's lastbottlewines.com. We have a new sponsor for this episode. It's Nat Backpacks. Now, this is very cool. They sent us the sample, and it has a, a patent pending technology where it can expand, and you can put your clothes in for a day trip. Also, it has this very cool pack in the back for your laptop. I know I always struggle with putting my laptop in a case, and then I put it in my backpack, and it's just, this is just, it's right there. Also, my current backpack is an L.L. Bean that I bought in sixth grade. So I'm so excited to use this. Also has, I mean, pockets galore. It's got a front pocket. Look at all the stuff you can put in there. And then probably my favorite thing is on this side, there's a secret little compartment up is it here? right here, right here, secret little compartment where you can put your water bottle. These are great backpacks. It doesn't make you feel like you're in sixth grade with an L.L. Bean book bag. I could go on any kind of business trip with this. Guys, invite me on a business trip. I'm bringing my Nat. We're all going. Let me read you some real language about Nat. Nat has designed the first book bag that looks professional and doesn't scream student. Their patented design features a sleek exterior, organized interior, and professional appearance that helps you look and feel your best at the office or out in the world. Go in the show notes, check out what they have to offer, and use the code PLNAC, that's spelled K-N-A-C-K, for a free gift with purchase. Very cool backpack. So, singles and doubles, you, you said that you used to be a bag holder. Was it just sheer time and losing so much money that you just said, I can't go back to that place? Or was there a, a conscious kind of rule that you set and you just said, I'm, I'm, I'm going to do this? Was there a catalyst, like a, an instance of just one time was worse than the rest? Uh, or was it somebody that came to you or that you learned from? Was there anything that you can point to that just said, you know what, I, I will not be a bag holder any longer? Well, at the end of uh, the beginning of 2019 is when I just decided I was going to follow my rules 100% of the time. And that meant in part that I would not bag hold ever again. And I have not bag holded ever again. Looking back prior to that, what I found Justin, was that I'd have days where I'd have, I'd make, uh, I'd have six plays, five would be green, one would be red, and I'd lose money mm -hmm. on the day. You know, I'd have plays where I, I, I'd have eight trades, six green, two red, and lose money. And then I'd swing those uh, uh, red trades. Um, you know, if I, didn't, if I didn't sell, I'd hold into the next day, they'd go lower, and now I'm up against it the next day. And cause I'm, cause I'm holding stocks that are down 30, 40, 50%, uh, expecting them to come back. And when you, when you start to see that spiral, you realize that this is not going to work. And, and I, I did that for years. I mean, I never blew up an account, uh, but I'd have months, I'd, I'd make money, I'd lose money, I'd make money, lose money. It was like, 
You ever see the Jetsons, mm -hmm. uh, that, that cartoon from years ago where George is walking on the treadmill and he's walking fast, but he's not going anywhere. You know, that was me. I was, I was picking a lot of winning trades, but I could not make money. And the reason was not the winning trades. It wasn't, oh, I exited the wrong place. It was all about the losing trades. It was all about FOMO and ego. And that's what it always is. No matter who you talk to, there is no other reason. Either their ego will not allow them to sell the position at a loss or they're terrified they're going to go to sleep and wake up and miss a stock that goes from three to five or 10 to 13 or whatever, you know, because if you weren't worried about that, wouldn't you probably just sell and take the loss knowing that you could buy it back down the road at some point? I think most people would offset the loser uh, with your winners for tax purposes, you know, along with other reasons, psychological reasons to get that bag off your, that backpack off your, uh, off your shoulders. But I just, I just analyzed my trade so thoroughly that I realized that was the problem. And I knew I could never take the next step as a full-time trader if I did not make that change. And I see people and, and people are DMing me all the time. And when I see people posting about their own stories, it always comes down to the same thing if it's not working every single time. And it's that they're bag holding. So people can talk about the market. They can talk about, oh, the, the, who's the president? Um, you know, what's going on with inflation? What's going on with whatever, right? The company, all these different things. And yeah, all that's got some merit to it. But at the end of the day, you have the choice to stay in the stock or sell. You have the choice to go long or short. You have the choice to you know, do whatever you want to do. And you have the choice if you're going to sell or you're going to bag hold. And that is always what the uh, net result is for people not making money over time. They're holding stocks too long and they're getting hammered by those positions. So do you think all of those things are more important or equally as important or less important than uh, your risk analysis and your uh, position sizing? So those two things, because it's, you know, if you, it's one thing to say, I'll bag hold for 2% of my portfolio, right? But also most people probably are not just taking positions with 2% because of, of, of the upside that they're looking for. So are those items equally as important, not as important? Does it just come down to the fact that you have the ability to make the decision and need to do it efficiently? I think that you have to, whatever your plan is, you got to start by deciding that you're going to be non-negotiable in following that plan. For me, that plan is no more than 10% of my portfolio in any one stock and no more than a 10% maximum loss. So if I swing and miss in both areas, that's a 1% loss to, in my portfolio. I can live with that. I can recover from that. So it, for me, it starts with having that plan and knowing the math on a, on a position. And then if it gets to that point where I'm going to be stopped out, to allow it to happen, to just take it and say, okay, I was wrong. I'm moving on. And not to bend the rules, not to, you know, get in your own head where you convince yourself that, well, I can ride it a little bit longer. That's when you start to bend and bend and bend. And pretty soon 
you're really getting hurt on that stock. So, you know, everybody has their own plan, you would hope. Um, And so when I talk about a 10% max loss, that doesn't mean that Blaine's has to be 10%. It might be lower. It might be higher. You got a guy, Mark Minervini, who's a very famous trader, very famous author. His max stop loss is 8% on a trade. And he's been doing this almost four decades. Mm -hmm. And he's a two-time U.S. investing champion, 8%. So I'm sitting at 10 wondering if I'm too high relative to this guy that's been making millions of dollars for a long time. So given those two scenarios, when I see people holding stocks down a third or a half or three quarters, yeah. uh, I, I, I really question what they're thinking. I mean, it really bothers me because I want to see people be successful. I do not want to see anybody go through what I went through for 90 months. That was painful. And so I'm trying to educate and help. Having said that, I do not understand holding stocks that are down that much from where you bought them. It makes no sense to me. I'll never understand it. 90 months. It's a long, long time. Blaine, it also makes me feel a little bit better because my saga involved repeated halts down where I couldn't get out. Couldn't so get out. It was, it was a little, it makes me feel a little bit better, right? Yeah. It was like, I tried. Your method (laughs) for getting out of that was so smart. Like, I don't think you're the typical bag. I'm, Mm. I'm all, I'm always impressed by the way you worked around that. You were in an impossible situation. So, well, I put myself in it though, to exactly what singles is saying, right? Like I didn't quick little scout. (laughs) You know, what's really interesting, Blaine, when we started, this episode, you were talking about, uh, you know, the, the sentiments that people have right now and the just the despair of people who are down 30%, 40% of entire portfolios. And, and you were talking about how it just overall it impacts like your, your psyche, your mentality on a daily basis and, and what that can do to you. But then hearing what since, Singles just said, if you take 10% of 10%, your max loss is 1% of your portfolio. I don't think anybody is losing sleep over 1% of their portfolio, no matter the size of it, whether it's 1,000, 10,000, or 100,000, right? I, I know that you're upset you lose 1%. I know it's it's not good, but also like you're not losing sleep over it, right. and you're still motivated to get back on the horse rather than, screw it, I lost 50%. I have to sit on my hands for a while, right? So right. that that makes it much more approachable, manageable, recoverable, and you can't go home. Like if, if you had a bad day at your desk job and you said, well, only 1% of my day was bad, like – you're not going to come home and kick the dog. So right, right, right. I, I think there's something to even be said with, with, with that mindset. So I also I wanted to add, um, you know, I'm trying to cl- really clean up the language on uh, the podcast, but I, I'm going to break that real quick. You know, I've been posting <laughs> my P&Ls on Twitter and I was having like huge red days and people were being so nice and kind to me like, Oh, you'll get it back tomorrow. Like, don't worry about it. Just being like really, really kind. And Rodessa commented in December, like in all caps with tons of exclamation marks and said, size the fuck down. 
And it really uh, changed my whole career. Like, I, it's nice to be nice, <laughs> but I, I needed somebody to tell me that, you know? And, like, things have been so, so much better since he said that. And I've been, like, much more consistent in the sizes that I'm taking. And I, in having a smaller size and not having as much risk allows me to, like, not be nervous in trades. And it all, I, I appreciate Redessa so much for saying that. And I do hope that people listening to this episode appreciate um, the non-sugar coating of like, maybe it'll come back or what, like, I, I think it's important. I think that uh, I love hearing you say all that. Um, and I see your tweets every day and I, you know, I love what I'm, I'm starting to see there because it's obvious to me that you're, you're thinking it through and you're making changes. You're not going into things blindly. Right. You know, right. And, and that you're, you're tweaking your process as you go. And that's good. Um, and you're paying attention. And the thing about size is very important because when people have too much, you're not alone. When people have too much size in a trade, they're nervous. But when you don't have too much size, you're, you can allow the trade to work according to what your plan was going in. And there's a big difference, you know, having that comfort in a sense, it still might not work, but you, you, you take the emotion out of it. And so that's awesome because, and we've talked about this before, this is not a sprint. It is a marathon. It does not have to be accomplished in a day or a week. It is a marathon. And you build it and you have your process and it rewards you over time again and again. If you will take the time to build it. That's why I don't have daily quotas and monthly quotas and all that stuff. I don't want to force trades in a bad market. I don't want to take too much size. You know, you're finding something that's working for you. And now you're vetting that to see how many days it will work for you. And, and, and if it is, you stick with it and roll with it. And if not, you tweak it again. I think now would be a good time, at least for me, to level set with the audience that, you know, I, I hear what you guys are talking about. And I don't know if you guys want to share how January was for you if you ran into these hurdles, if you actually found success or not. I think it would only be fair for, for me to at least say as I take part in this conversation that I have been in, I don't know, 90% um, cash and have not taken trades over the course of the last three or so weeks. I did in early January, things went fine. Um, and then I, I did not as this kind of slow sinking ship started to take on water. And then I just, just stayed away. And, you know, while I think that's good, there's certainly some winners out there. There's always money to be made somehow, but you know, I, I did not over the last few weeks. So as you guys are talking, it brings up the point that I think I learned just as much not trading over the past three weeks as I could have by making mistakes. And I think that's equally as important, right? I mean, I've seen exactly what you guys are talking about. I can relate to it. I can also see the trades and the plays that I know I may or may not have taken and how they would have gone. And I think that that is just as important, right? So while I'm not necessarily on the receiving end of some of this conversation, you know, now, today, January 31st, I know I have been in the past, 
Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's just, just to be honest, I, I haven't, you know, shared in some of the gore over the past three weeks that a lot of folks have. I don't know about both of you. Well, you're buying dinner. <laughs> <laughs> well, I haven't made any money, so it's going to have to be cheap. <laughs> I was, uh, I was slightly red in, in December for the first time in, I think, 14 months. Wow. I was red, small. Um, my January was also red, uh, more than my December, but again, relatively speaking, small, you know, because I just kept getting stopped out and cutting losses and, and just kind of, I guess, treading water in a sense, still, still trading, Mm -hmm. uh, but, but kind of swimming against the current, so to speak. And so now going into February, I'm coming off two small red months um, that I have not had two red months in a row. I, I can't remember the last time, at least three years, but that's what I'm going in with. But I can also see where I'm not that far away from being at all-time highs in my portfolio. And that's kind of a testament to everything I've been saying on this call. You know, you just cut and cut and cut and keep it tight until... It starts working again, and then you can uh, take it to the next level. So I'm coming off two reds, and we'll see what happens in February. Uh, I'm also red for January, which is sad. I really, Mm -hmm. really wanted to, like, turn it around in 2022. Um, But uh, I, like, keep saying to Shark every day, like, I think I'm curling. Like, I think my trading group is <laughs> curling. Um, I can personally see the difference in my trading from the beginning of this month to the end. I also learned how to trade options in a month, which, like, obviously, that's everything that I have learned from the past two years. It's a culmination of all of those things. But I was so scared of options for so long. And there was such a mental block of like, I didn't think that I was smart enough to do it. And to like, I actually was on the phone with Shark before this call. And he said, okay, Blaine, we've learned how to limit your risk. We've learned how to take the proper position size. And I think it's time to learn on to, to move on to letting your winners run. And like, it feels big to me of like, I've passed... I pass. I'm like at Bowser's Castle now. Like I feel, <laughs> I don't know. I feel mentally better than I felt in a very, very long time. Well, you got the New York Times thing going and now you're going to let your winners run. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. I mean, all systems are go for you. Yeah. And, and I honestly, like, I didn't do that. That like the, the people who have stepped in to help me, like, Dr. Bullshark has been incredible to me. And um, Palmer, my just favorite, happiest person, and the Wolf of Weed Street. Like, people have really, really shown up for me in a big, big, big way. I could, there's no way I could have done this by myself. Um, that's, I think that's partially true. Like, you, you, it's certainly right to call out people who have supported and, and helped each other. 
but also like you're still the one who's actively learning and actively trading. Like that's like saying if you were successful and you're like, well, I had set 10 rules. So like I, it wasn't really me. It was my rules. Like, well, not really. I mean, you you set the rules and then you also stuck to them. So I feel like there's enough credit, especially now with, you know, things being pretty red in the market when credit, you know, should should be allocated properly. Well, they, I mean, thank you for saying that. I also forgot Rodessa. Huge, huge help. And of course, Shark. Like, I mean, it's just been amazing. But there, I did have to have a talk with myself in singles and doubles. This actually absolutely harkens back to everything you've taught me. Uh, at the beginning of January, I was like, I have all the opportunity in the world. Like, some of the best traders living right now are helping me, and I can't make this work. And I had to have like a very, very harsh, like, you're the problem. And I was. And I um, I also had dinner. I went on a business trip with Jimmy last week and I had dinner with an Olympian. It was very cool. And he said that to be an athlete is great, but the way to make it to the Olympics and the way to win is to be a great competitor and the way that you're a great competitor is instead of practicing the things that you're really good at, you take like a very, very strong look at all your weaknesses and just focus and focus and focus on those. And it's been, I've been thinking about it so much because I'm like, taking big losses is a weakness of mine. Chasing things is a weakness of mine. Saying I'm going to cut something at the nine, but holding till the 20 to see if it bounces, a weakness of mine. And it's it's also so it's been nice to hear that I'm the problem. And then it's also been nice to just be incredibly honest about the things that I'm doing wrong. Like hiding in shame is ha it's a hard it's a, it's like bag holding in a sense, you know. <laughs> well said. Thank you. Yeah, I agree. That's the uh the Kobe Bryant Mamba mentality, which is Is like it? If, if Did this I guy just Steal no. Kobe's mentality? Well, <laughs> no, I think probably anybody at that level probably is on the same page, which which would make sense. They're, they're all there for the same reason. They were so good. and But he always said, you know, if I – he he said – like, I think it started in high school. He's like, I knew what I was good at, so I practiced everything that I wasn't. And he's like, I knew that if I had to be better than the other guys and we all were all really good at shooting, then – I got to focus on dribbling or what, whatever it was. And that started. So he always was working on his worst thing. His yeah. Whole life. And I'm Pretty good wild. at reading charts. It, like just naturally, I think it's the artist thing. I'm just very good at that. And sort of thought like, this is my strength. I'm just going to rely on chart reading. Well, you don't even have to be able to read a chart if you can manage your risk well enough. Like, just get lucky, whatever. Like it doesn't matter. That's an interesting. That's an interesting comment, and that's 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 very true. I, I hope that listeners don't miss what you just said. You know, you can do a lot of things well or not well as long as you respect risk. That's the ultimate. Uh, that's the ultimate end all, right there. You know, it's true. I mean, I hate to liken it to gambling, but it's like if you. If if the stock can go, I mean, I guess it can go sideways, but if it's going to go up or down, 
right? And you just manage and it, and and you think that it's 50-50 every time, right? Or 51-49 and you manage your risk then then there's a way to make sure that you that you end up winning, right? If you if you know it's going to end up in the stock market over time goes up. So if you manage your risk and it's going to go up more than it goes down, then in theory there's an easy way to win. <laughs> Ultimately, if you're making 2 cents for every 1 cent that you lose, there you go. You're going to end up making money consistently. That's what it comes down to, regardless of how many zeros are on the end of that. And the crazy part is to do that, you don't, you just have to really know how to put in a buy order and a stop loss order. You don't have to know a chart. You don't have to know anything about options in the Greeks. And you don't, you don't even have to know, uh, honestly, like how, how the economy is doing. You just, you have to know how to do those two things. Which sounds really terrible if you break it down to be that simple. Yeah, I mean, people don't like hearing <laughs> that, you know, because it 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 basically is another way of saying you have to be a hundred percent accountable, yeah. and you, you have to be fully responsible for your trading. And so, look, we've all been there. You know, you're you're in a position and you have a decision to make. And for many of us, we have multiple decisions to make every single day. You know, and. Trading is making decisions, but what you can't do uh, is mind F yourself into a, a situation where you deviate from what you know you're supposed to do in working your plan. That Every time in the past that I used to do that was a bad result and money lost. And when I see people say things when they're bag holding like, well, I've got money in here that I can afford to lose. Um Okay, I, I you know maybe you do, but but why would you want to do that anyways? That doesn't mean that you just yolo the position when you're down sixty percent on it. Yep. You know, but people do that every single day. You both have said some things that made me think about. Uh, I had a thought maybe seven or eight months ago, and that was, I, I feel like. I have made some money trading in spite of myself, right? That, like, a, that's almost a realization. It was like, you know, I, I, in spite of some of the terrible choices and decisions and, and, and bad plays, somehow there was some money that was made, right? But that's, that was really in spite of me. Like, I, I, I probably just got more lucky than I did unlucky for quite a long time. And so there's a bit of a realization there, especially if you start to have some losses. It's like, well, it wasn't that I, I was bad or it, it wasn't that I was good. It was that I just, I, I, in spite of myself, I had made some money and, and thought that this was going great. And then all of a sudden, when the market is against you, you realize very quickly that that is really not the case. So, Yeah. Well, that's true, I, I, but I'll bet it wasn't just luck when you were making the money. I'll bet there was some skill involved and some proper decisions being made. And conversely, when it started going poorly, again, there were some negative decisions being made. Yeah, I think what it does, though, is it sparks a nice reaction, which is you need to refocus or learn. And as Blaine's doing, right, she... Not that she felt like she had made money in spite of herself, maybe like I did, but what it does is that sparks you to say, I need to refocus, maybe pivot, but but certainly start learning more and whether or not that's what you've already been doing or you want to venture into another financial vehicle like like options, 
I think to me, that's, that's really what's, what's neat about that. That comes from some of those realizations or, or thoughts. That's a big thing, right? You don't just keep doing what you're doing. Um, you, you, you think about it. There's a bit of a pause reflection and then, and then a, a go forward plan. So. I do. I want to add while we're talking about this, I know that on Twitter, there's been a huge movement of out of small caps into options. And, you know, people are like, it's just like penny stocks, like you can make money doing it. Well, I would like to say that if you have bad habits trading penny stocks, (laughs) they don't go away. Yeah. Like it's, yep. I'm still, I'm still chasing. <laughs> so, well, you know? By definition, if you have bad <laughs> habits trading comments, it's going to be multiplied when you're trading options. It's just going to mm-hmm. get worse. Right, right. It's uh, so those of you who have listened to this journey and thought, oh, well, Blaine's doing better with options. Like maybe I'll try it. It's a, it's a cautionary tale because they move fast, Very. and you have to be even more patient with entries and better with risk man. Like mm-hmm. it's like I went to the big leagues and I wasn't quite ready, but now I'm here. So I'm going to figure it out. Yep. You got your Jersey on. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> but you're right. You've got to, you got to stay patient with that and you have to have the right setup and you got to have the right discipline. And yeah, but Strong traits will carry forward no matter what you're trading and vice versa. So sp- you know. speaking of carrying forward, then, as I, I know we're starting to get towards time, what is your go forward plan for fe- February and the tools of the trade, if you will, that you're thinking about? Are you asking me? Yes. Yeah. Um, it is to continue to follow my plan and my rules and to not necessarily be in a hurry uh, to get back the December and January losses, but rather to work my way back. Um, Look, 2022, I mean, we're only one month in. There are plenty of months left to have a wonderful year. And so I want to have good setups. I want to see, you know, I want to trade properly. Um, I don't want to bag hold. I don't want to take on too much size. I don't want to uh, put myself to any decisions that are going to be ones that can hurt me financially. And so I think for me, it's it's staying the course on, on what I know I do best and being very transparent and being very truthful with myself always in analyzing past trades and looking for what I did right and what I did wrong. That's great. Blaine, are you thinking about next month then already and same thoughts along that same trend line? Um, I have had to this past month swallow a lot of pride. Like I am a prideful person and I, um, You know, I'm so open and honest, but I've really struggled with asking for help and being like saying when I don't understand things and just being like, well, I'll figure that out later. And I just to keep talking about shark the other day, I was like, I'm going to start telling him when I take a trade. And I like told him like I was like, oh, I just took puts and spy or whatever. And he was like, 
here? And I was like, yeah, I think it's going to break the support. And he was like, oh, my God, Blaine, no. Like, you buy the puts at the resistance. You don't buy it. Like, and I was like, oh, if I had just been honest with a myriad of other people trying to help me and not try to, like, what does it matter for me to go out there and try to act like I'm, like, a great trader? That So I've had to, like, really humble myself, and I would like to continue doing that it doesn't help anybody for me to pretend i know things that i don't know well and then you become much more teachable you know people enjoy teaching folks that are receptive and honest and humble rather than always the hard-headed student that thinks that they're as smart as the teacher totally <laughs> totally Sometimes I, when I say those things, I'm, I'm talking to myself. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, singles and doubles as always. What a pleasure. Just, Thank you both. And um, I'd like to, I know I say it every time, but the fact that you took a chance on us when we were new and um, gave us two great episodes, like hopefully when we, tell the story of this podcast um you're the the crux of what happened to us i really i really appreciate you taking a chance on us in may that was absolutely anytime and yeah. i love seeing the growth that you guys are having with the podcast so keep it going Thank thanks for you. being brutally honest with everybody and uh keeping us level-headed like i said there's a pat on the butt and a kick in the pants and so, you know, everybody needs some version of both. So thanks a lot. For sure. Thank you, Justin. For sure. Thank you, Blaine. All right. Well, season four, you're coming back. That's right. Absolutely. All right. Thank you. Before I talk to you guys about Last Bottle Wines this week, I would really love to ask a favor, which is go into iTunes and click on the Penny Lane podcast and please leave us a five-star review and a written review. It helps us so much with getting sponsors, getting new listeners, growing the podcast. It, it's a huge favor, but I would love, I'd love you guys to do it. Thank you. Guys, I've been so impressed with Last Bottle Wine so far. The shipment is great. The app is great. The way they describe their wine is great. The discounts are great. You have to check it out. I'm not just saying that because they're a sponsor, like for real. It's a great company. Justin's obsessed. He's just ordering wine every day. It's coming to the apartment. He's Mr. Big Shot with his wine. It's a very, very cool company. And so download the app, check it out. They release one wine a day. And if you buy the last bottle, you get 50% credit on your account toward your next purchase. You can use code PENNY for 10% off of an order before March 11th, 2022. Thank you so much to Joel Edwards, our producer, and Chesley Lowe for our banjo music. By accessing this podcast, you acknowledge that the Penny Lane podcast makes no warranty, guarantee, or representation as to the accuracy or sufficiency of the information featured in this podcast. The information, opinions, and recommendations presented in this podcast are for general information only, and any reliance on the information provided in this podcast is done at your own risk. 
This podcast should not be considered professional or financial advice. Unless specifically stated otherwise, the Penny Lane podcast does not endorse, approve, recommend, or certify any information, product, process, service, or organization presented or mentioned in this podcast. And information from this podcast should not be referenced in any way to imply such approval or endorsement. The third-party materials or content of any third-party site referenced in this podcast do not necessarily reflect the opinions, standards, or policies of the Penny Lane podcast. The Penny Lane podcast assumes no responsibility or liability for the accuracy or completeness of the content contained in third-party materials or on third-party sites referenced in this podcast or the compliance with applicable laws of such materials and or links referenced herein.